Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello, and welcome to the EM360 podcast, where we have a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Christina Stathopoulos, and I am dedicated to the world of data. I'm currently an analytical lead for Waze at Google, an adjunct professor of analytics at IE Business School and ISDE, and an active public speaker in this space. As passionate as I am about data, I am thrilled to welcome Anand Mahukar for today's episode. Anand is the founder and CEO of Findability Sciences. Today, we're going to be continuing the discussion of this three-part series and talking about the real-world issues that big data and wide data can solve, diving a bit deeper into what this all means for businesses and how they can adopt the power of AI. Welcome back, Anand. Thanks for joining. For those who may have missed the first two podcasts, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Krishna, good morning, first of all, to you as well as our listeners. Uh, Thank you very much for having me on this show. Uh, My name is Anand, as you said, and I'm the CEO and founder of an enterprise AI company out of Boston named Findability Sciences. We provide enterprise AI solutions to traditional enterprises and help them in their digital transformation journey. Great. Well, we're really happy to have you back today, and it's my pleasure to personally host you on today's episode. So first of all, for listeners who may be tuning in for the first time, or even those that could benefit from a quick recap, let's start by quickly reviewing what was discussed in the first two podcasts. So this is the last episode of a three-part series, and previously you spoke about wide data and the use of wide data in AI or ML applications. Could you run us through what was discussed? Sure, Christina. So what we talked during the first two podcasts, the first was dedicated to quote-unquote new concept called wide data. Now, the industry is very familiar with the concepts and implementations of big data, where the data has volume, velocity, and variety. But with our experience of implementing AI ML solutions and really giving return on investment to our customers, we realized that the data which actually has more variety or in a very simple words, more columns is more useful for AI and ML applications. And we call that as wide data. So during the first episode, we we covered what is wide data, how that impacts on the AI and ML applications. In the second episode, we covered that once you have the wide data, and the wide data typically consists of internal, external, structured, and unstructured data for an enterprise. Once you have that all sorted out, then you kick off your AI ML processes. And for that, you need to understand your use case. You need to choose the right algorithm, and then you make use of wide data in building that AI application. And that's what we covered in the second episode. Okay, very clear. And and it's great to hear more about this reference to wide data. As someone who personally works in the data space, it's the first time I've heard it referred to like this, and it absolutely makes sense. Um, now, at Findability Sciences, you help companies get the most out of this wide data, and, and much more even. 
So how do you typically engage with customers? What are the steps and the guidelines that you're following? So Krishna, uh, most of the enterprise we meet, we explore, or we work with them, they always have the same problem that they don't have either data or they don't believe they have sufficient data or they don't know where data, their data lies. So typically when we get engaged with the customers, we start with a very interesting, innovative, a little bit tedious process called data census. So we go through every data asset of that organization, which is internal to the organization. And then we brainstorm with them in terms of what are the external factors typically impact on their various businesses within the organization. And we also take stock of the external data. So we start with a very first step of creating data census. And it's a very detailed process whereby you can now make a one snapshot of what that organization has in terms of their data assets. Now, once that is done, there is a lot of clarity in terms of what is there and what is not there or how something can be accessed and how something is cannot be accessed. Then we typically help the customers. Some of them may have it or some of them may not have it is the technology infrastructure to really collect this data and unify this data. The collection and unification is a key factor for making your AI and ML applications really successful. So the next step is we help them collect that data and unify that data to store in a central repository. And that can be called as a data lake or data warehouse or data platforms. So there are different definitions being used. But I typically call that before AI, you need IA. And the IA stands for information architecture. So we help customers to build that architecture, build that data platform, and get the data unified at a central location. Once that is done, then we move to the next process. It's called processing. So we collected the data, we unified the data, and we can now process the data. And the processing is typically done through machine learning algorithms or natural language processing algorithm based on what use case we are trying to solve. And once that is done, the last step in this engagement process is the presentation. Because whatever AI or ML application is producing, based on what it is and what the organization is going to use for, there are a number of ways how the output is presented. And it's while it sounds very trivial, it's a very important step, but we help customers finally consume that data through different presentation methodologies and that's the way we deploy the end-to-end -end AI or ML application. Got it. So starting with collecting the data, unifying the data, processing the data, then presentation. And, and I like how you noted um, before AI, it's IA. Never heard that, and I, and I love the phrase. So IA, information infrastructure, right? Uh, information architecture. Oh, sorry. Yes, sorry. Inf information architecture. So information architecture has to become come before the AI or the ML. Yes, because Christina, many organizations and we have been part of that is jumped onto a quick POC or we call it as a proof of concept, goes through for nine months or 12 months. And at the end of the day, year, then they really feel that this is not useful. They have spent money and time, etc. So after lots, I keep telling my customers that we have been part of lots of failures as well, not only just success. 
and through those failures what we learned is that it is important to have this information architecture or i abbreviate it as ia before you jump on to ai journey because every enterprise is going to need ai every enterprise has data so there is no excuse for someone to not embark on this journey therefore it is better to do the right thing and not just try and test some hodgepodge things or the pocs but have your information architecture right okay so speaking about the these customers that you're working with what types of industries are you most working with and then going into a bit more detail could you tell us about some real life use cases where you're putting all of this into practice so kristina uh, our focus is traditional enterprises and it's a quite a wide definition but those enterprises who are not digitally born or who are into the traditional businesses of manufacturing retail financial services the companies which are beyond 10 years of age maybe companies who are in existence for even 100 years or 50 years or 30 years these traditional organizations they have extremely good products they are extremely successful companies but they never adopted the digital tools or the digital transformation journey because that was not available those years but now those companies have to go through that digital transformation and therefore we were use the word transformation because there has to be something to transform and what we always focus is the traditional organization and we help them in their journey of digital transformation and some of the examples of the the customers we work with is mostly in manufacturing or retail or financial services where we help them harness their data and we really call them to become data superpowers because they can launch new products they can offer new services to customers they can reduce costs they can increase their revenues so there are a number of possibilities in this transformation so we focus on manufacturing financial services retail higher education banking etc Okay. So you said very typically helping out these traditional enterprises going through a digital transformation and you noted manufacturing, retail, financial services, even higher education. So do you have any particular use cases that you could share with the audience? Sure, and I can take an example of say manufacturing uh, because it's a quite wide area and there is a lots of possibilities for manufacturing companies to adopt these new tools. Uh, so for example uh, one of our customer is uh, has a largest second largest manufacturing facility here in america uh, after boeing and uh, they have they procure their raw material from thousands of vendors in multiple countries and geolocations and then their product is also sold into multiple geographies within america and the product has a, a typical sales uh, uh, cycles based on the geolocation so what will get sold sold in northeast may not get sold in northwest so they have a very complex problem both on supply chain and then distribution or sales so what we have done for them is as i talked about the wide data and the collection and unification process so we take the erp data to start with from that organization and then we connect to many external data sources for example the socio economic status or new housing construction or weather data or cell phone movement data so we collect all that external data unify with their internal erp data of history of what product is sold in which geography etc and created wide data for them 
Then once the wide data is available, we have the forecasting algorithms whereby now we can forecast about a million data points for them every month where they know in every distributor or dealer or branches or geolocation in America how many equipments or products they are going to sell over next 16 quarters. So they have very good visibility now in the future in terms of what can they sell or what they will sell. And on the back end, they source products from China and India and Mexico and they have multiple sources which, uh, which supply them uh, these raw materials or the semi-knockdown units. And their entire manufacturing very heavily depends on that. So if they have, there is any disruption in that supply chain, it impacts on their manufacturing and sales. So we are now giving them visibility, again, using the same data techniques which I talked about in giving them visibility on which item is going to likely to come what time will there be any delays will there be any any external political issues or geopolitical issues impacting on their supply chain and that way now they know that visibility that when some products are going to come or not come and accordingly they can plan their manufacturing so it's a very end-to-end -end successful use case uh, and we have similarly many other manufacturing companies we work but provide them uh, right from the chatbot or natural language processing solution whereby they can start collecting data from their customers and then that data also gets used in this wide data whereby they can then get lots of insights into their business. So Krishna, in a very simple words uh, for all those listeners probably in manufacturing or any traditional enterprise, what I tell them is that these AI solutions will help them solving answers to two questions. Number one, what will happen in any of my business divisions and what to do. So this what will happen and what to do are very two simple expressions of what we do for these traditional enterprises. Incredibly relevant as well, I think, for today's environment, um, given that the supply chain is a bit disrupted globally. So it's interesting that you highlight this case in manufacturing where you're helping understand all of the data as it pertains especially to the supply chain. And you spoke about combining not just their internal data and this ERP data, but as well third-party data, combining it all. And as you said, an end-to-end, end-to-end process. Now, your, your newest product, findability.inside, it brings the power of AI to traditional automation solutions. So can you explain how exactly this enables AI? So, Krishna, uh, what I just talked about is for traditional enterprises to adopt AI for their own businesses. But we see a huge possibility for the enterprises who offer either software or hardware products to their end customers. Now, these companies are very successful software companies and hardware companies, and their products are very well received in the market. There are long, loyal customers using those products. But those were the companies which were started 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago. And those products which they sell are typically not quote-unquote AI-enabled. Now, why is AI enabling required? Because the customers who are very loyal customers of uh, these traditional enterprises who sell software or hardware services, they also want now new things from these products. So let's take an example. For example, there is a 
CRM system or a CRM software, a customer relationship management software. And if that company has thousands or hundreds of thousands of users who are using CRM system, and the company is actually developed that product, uh, say, in 90s or in 2000s, they do not have any ability to forecast in their CRM that who is the customer which is likely to be onboarded next month or who is the customer I'm going to lose or which is the customer I'm probably never going to sign contract with. So this what will happen question is not answered into those traditional products. So what we do through findability.inside is we are now enabling these traditional hardware and software companies to quickly embed AI into their traditional products, making them AI enabled. And Krishna, we have a number of examples of the customers whose products we have quickly enabled because they have two choices. One is either they develop on their own and spend a couple of years in developing those features and then making their softwares AI or hardwares AI enabled or get something ready-made from company like us and quickly integrate and launch the new service or new product or even new feature to retain customers because the new the customers wants new features and products. So we have a number of customers to whom we have integrated our technology, ready-made technology into their traditional products, offering new features, new possibilities. Even we offered, created new revenue streams for those customers. Uh, so there are a number of possibilities and we are quite excited with our findability.inside offering for traditional enterprises, not necessarily only for their operation usage, but enabling their products, which they offer to the end customers. So it sounds like you're making it much more accessible, especially to these traditional enterprises and their, their traditional products. And going off of this, this AI conversation, something that gets talked about often is calculating the ROI, the return on investment, for AI and ML. This is a notorious challenge in the field. So what's the typical ROI in AI projects for traditional enterprises, or at least from what you're seeing? So Christina, as we know in the technology world, and uh, I've been in this industry for about 30 years, uh, every single software, hardware, infrastructure implementations the C-level executives always expect financial return on investment. Always there are discussions, how many people I'm going to save, what cost I'm going to save, how much more business I'm going to do. And the same thought process continues when there is a discussion about AI. And AI as a topic, there is a natural expectation that when I deploy AI, I'm going to earn more money or reduce people or reduce cost. And I have, again, going through this process for a number of years, I now tell the executives that just looking for financial ROI right away, because finally, at the end of the day, it has to provide financial return on investments. Otherwise, there is no use of technology. But the AI is a little different that it not necessarily you should immediately look for financial returns. And uh, one of the analysts in the market, Dan Fagela at Emerge, uh, he really articulated it very well that in addition to the financial ROI, the organization should look for the return on investment on their capability and their strategy because as i mentioned earlier ai is not is it's important for every organization and they are going to deploy one or the other day so building the capability and having the strategy of ai implementation can also be a return on investment so i suggest that the organization should look at three rois the capability roi the strategic roi and then financial roi okay 
So the capability ROI, the strategy ROI, and then finally the financial ROI. And from what I'm interpreting as well, it, really it's a it's a mistake if you're immediately looking only for the financial ROI, right? Yes, Krishna, as we talked about the data platform and information architecture earlier in our conversation, if you deploy information architecture, you are not going to get any financial return right away. But that builds you a capability and you become the AI usage possibilities become really real and it will become easy. So the data sensors or collection unification or data platforms or information architecture, these are all strategic steps to build capability within an organization to become AI enabled. Until then, you are not going to get any financial return and therefore they should not look for it. After that, yes, financial returns will come to the organizations. Makes sense. So it's definitely not a, a short term. You're not going to typically see it in such short term, but down the line, it should be it should be clear. Um, so to close up, I think a good way to close for our listeners is with advice. So what would be your advice for the C-level executives who are looking for digital transformation in traditional enterprises? So, Christina, for all those listeners and particularly the decision makers and C-level executives, digital transformation are two words. It's not one word. So there is a digital and there is a transformation. So when you are talking about transformation, many things have to change. So my advice or suggestion or request, whatever you may want to call to the executives is, Look at your AI projects as we just discussed about is building strategic capabilities in your organization. Data is the most important asset you have and there are a number of possibilities you can do with your data or you can harness external data or you can add possibilities of creating new data, but you need to become a data-centric organization. Gone are those days are becoming technology-centric organization. You need to quickly move to data-centric. And therefore, you should not look for the financial ROIs right away. As we just discussed at a length, look for strategic and capability ROI. Get your data infrastructure right in place. You are going to get benefited from AI. I couldn't agree more. Data-centric organization is key. Or even I sometimes say data-informed um, organization. So fantastic. I've loved the conversation today. Thank you, Anand, um, for all of your great insight on today's topic. And as well, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. If you would like more information on what we've discussed today, make sure that you head on over to findability.ai. We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. And until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head on over to EM360Tech.com.